the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The cultural pressure to conform to his new environment. That's why this book is, it's timeless. Because every single one of us will be confronted with an ever-pressing temptation to become just like our culture around us. We will always, as Christ followers, as Christians, be confronted with this sense of, you know, whose are we? You know, are we the world's or are we the Lord's? And to whom will we be most loyal? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Daniel. As a Christian, there will be times in your life where you'll be confronted with the temptation to conform to the world. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you to stay rooted in Jesus Christ. The world is always going to have pressures that come at you. However, you need to decide to stay loyal to your commitment and walk with the Lord. Pastor Gary encourages you to stand firm. When you experience outside pressures from the world to conform, remember who you belong to. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, as he begins his message, Standing Strong in a Wayward World. So as we're leaving the book of Ezekiel and moving here to the book of Daniel, it's important to note just historically and uh, contextually that the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel overlap somewhat. And so let me kind of frame the historical context. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the same pagan king we've been hearing about through the book of Ezekiel, we're going to hear about still in the book of Daniel because Nebuchadnezzar besieged the southern part of Israel over a period of 20 years, culminating in the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem, the capital city, in 586 BC. Over the course of the 20 years that Nebuchadnezzar besieged Israel, he took captive tens of thousands of Jews and deported them to Babylon, where they will end up spending the next 70 years. And among some of the first Jewish captives that Nebuchadnezzar took prisoner were four young men, four teenagers by the name of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. The first of the guys in that list is the, the young man and, and later the elderly man in the book about whom this book is entitled. This is a story about the life of Daniel and the faithfulness of God 
in the midst of a very difficult time and through the servant Daniel himself. And, and so we're going to be looking over the next several weeks at this book that is primarily about the, the guy after whom this book is entitled. Now, remember that the book we just finished, Ezekiel, was about a Jewish prophet who was exiled among the captives taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. And Ezekiel's primary ministry was to serve as a prophet among the Jewish exiles living in Babylon, which again is modern Iraq. Daniel, however, is deported and he's been in Babylon for nine years before Ezekiel gets there. And Daniel's primary place of ministry is in the palace of the king. He's going to start out serving King Nebuchadnezzar and then successive kings after Nebuchadnezzar until finally there's a Persian king on the throne. Then he even ministers and serves a Persian king. And so God strategically has placed both Ezekiel and Daniel in Babylon. It's unlikely that they knew each other. Ezekiel probably knew of Daniel because by the time Ezekiel gets there, Daniel has been there again nine years. And so his fame in the royal palace has probably already been well known. But whether Daniel knew Ezekiel, it's unknown to us. But God strategically has placed both of these guys in very unique roles where Ezekiel has been planted among the people in Babylon to encourage and to exhort and challenge the Jewish people living there as exiles, where as Daniel has been placed by God in the citadel of the king, in the king's palace, where he's going to have influence among pagan Gentile kings. And so God's working in both places, among the Jewish exiles in Babylon and among the Gentile pagan kings through the ministry of Ezekiel and Daniel, respectively. So this book is about Daniel's story. And I'm going to give you at first a little intro so we can, again, just kind of set the stage for what we're about to read. The book of Daniel covers about 70 years of history. And uh, the Babylonian Empire is in power when the book of Daniel first begins. But by the end of the book of Daniel, the Babylonians have been conquered by the Persians. And so the Persians are in power by the end of the book of Daniel. The king of Babylon that we see in the opening verses of chapter 1 is, again, none other than Nebuchadnezzar. His name in in, uh, ancient Babylonian language in Chaldean is Nabuchaduri Utsur, which translates Nabu protects the crown. Nabu was one of the Babylonian pagan gods, the god of wisdom. Daniel wrote this book while in captivity in Babylon near the end of his life, around 536 B.C., Nine times he mentions his own name as he writes, I, Daniel. So we know the authorship is attributed to Daniel, and Jesus even says so, because Jesus quotes the book of Daniel in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, about the Antichrist. Daniel has a lot to say about the Antichrist, which brings me to one more point about the book of Daniel. Because of its strong prophetic content, it is known as the Apocalypse of the Old Testament. Uh, Daniel prophesies about a lot of things. For example, he prophesies about the Medo-Persian Empire and the Greek Empire before they even came into being. He uh, told of the breakup of Alexander the Great's empire and how it would be broken into four parts to be ruled by his four generals 200 years before that happened. Daniel also predicted the first coming of Jesus the Messiah to the day. We'll talk about that math when we get there. And he predicts the rise of the Antichrist, something that has yet to occur in our lifetime. He talks about the tribulation period. 
and he talks about the end of the age. And so there's a lot in the book of Daniel that is prophetic in nature. That's why it is known again as the apocalypse of the Old Testament. This book is quite unlike any other book in that, obviously, through every book of the Bible, Christ is revealed. So we're going to see Christ in the book of Daniel, but we also take note of a young man, again, after whom the book is named, who has just tremendous courage and tremendous convictions in the midst of a very challenging environment. Daniel is a man of principle and values and a man of faith, and he is loyal and true to God above anyone and anything else. And it it really is remarkable when you think of his story, because here he is taken captive at probably the age of 15. He is deported to Babylon. That's 900 miles away from his home. He is separated from his country, his family, his language, his lifestyle, and he's thrust into a foreign pagan culture, different language, different gods. Okay, this is where he's sent now. This is where he finds his life. And they are wanting, the Babylonians are wanting him, like all the other Jewish exiles, to become absorbed into their culture, their values, their mindset, their language, their false gods. But Daniel here, he just resolves not to bend in the direction of all of that uh, temptation of his environment. He instead is going to resist the political and the cultural pressure to conform to his new environment. That's why this book is, it's timeless, because every single one of us will be confronted with an ever-pressing temptation to become just like our culture around us. We will always, as Christ followers, as Christians, be confronted with this sense of, you know, whose are we? You know, are we the world's or are we the Lord's? And to whom will we be most loyal? And, you know, who really defines us and shapes us and molds us? Will it be the Lord or will it be our culture? Will it be the world? Will it be the environment to which we are exposed? And this is Daniel's story. This is our story, quite honestly. It's about a man who was not afraid of the consequences for resisting that political and cultural pressure because his conviction to honor and please God always outweighed the temptation to fear and please man. Did everybody hear that? Because this is an important principle even for our lives. He, He was always under the conviction to honor and please God more than the temptation to fear and please man. He was a God pleaser. He was not a man pleaser. He lived for the glory of God, even from such a young age. And, you know, truth be told, uh, all of us want to fit in. You know, all of us want to be accepted. All of us, you know, want to to find approval in the eyes of people. It's a dangerous thing, but it's just an admission I think all of us uh, should recognize that nobody wants to feel like odd man out. And for that reason, it's very easy to get seduced by the culture because nobody wants to feel like that, you know, you're you're just odd. And so the trend to be seduced by the culture, the environment in which we live and, and, and society is constantly assaulting us as it was for Daniel here. And, and so what happens is when we constantly feel this pressure and, and the temptation to conform and to be molded by the culture and the environment in which we live, it results in this systematic seduction that renders us irrelevant for the kingdom. 
Because when, when Christians, when people who are Christ followers end up just living like the world, talking like the world, doing everything the world does, then, then it's a subtle tactic of the enemy to render us ineffective and irrelevant for the kingdom. So God always is calling men and women and young people to stand out for what is right and true and honorable, those things that will bring praise and glory to God and to resist the constant pull of the culture and the environment. So Daniel is thrust into this kind of a culture against his will, taken captive, taken away from everything, comfortable, familiar, all of his surroundings, all of this, thrust into this culture. It's very opposite of what he was used to. Different gods, false gods, different language, different experiences, all of this stuff. And he's got a decision to make. Am I going to just get absorbed into my new life and my new surroundings and just kind of deal with it and give in? Or am I still going to be a principled man? My values intact, my faith intact, my, my loyalty to God intact. Am I going to be a man who just continues to please God no matter what my environment? Or am I going to be a man who just becomes molded by my environment? Daniel is a wonderful example for us. And so I've entitled today's teaching, Standing Strong in a Wayward World. Standing Strong in a Wayward World. In Daniel chapter 1, let me read the first eight verses. If you have your Bibles still open there, I'm going to read the first eight verses and it'll give us a sense of what's going on here. Daniel 1 verse 1. In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, that's Babylonia, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king, this is Nebuchadnezzar, instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans, which is the Babylonians. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were... Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. All right, your attention. We'll pause there for a moment. The Babylonians rose to world domination by defeating the Assyrian Empire, which was before them. We know this historically. And the Babylonians were very different from the Assyrians in the way that they waged war, some of their military tactics that they employed. The Assyrians were a brutal and ruthless people. The Assyrians would uh, conquer a town and then pillage it, rape the women, uh, make slaves of the children, uh, and fillet the men. And history tells us that the Assyrians would actually skin men alive, the ones that they had taken captive when they conquered these neighboring towns and cities. 
the Assyrians would skin men alive and use their hide as wallpaper to adorn their homes. That's the Assyrians. The Assyrians were also known when they took people captive for stringing them together with hooks through their noses and then stringing them with a rope and hooks, kind of like you would string fish through their gills, and then you'd have a bunch of fish on a, on a string. This is the way they would treat human beings, with hooks through their nose. You know, now it's like, quote, cool to like get your nose pierced, but like it wasn't in the day, right? And so if you want to go Assyrian style, that's up to you. But anyway, and so this is what they do. And so then they pull people strung together back into their their territory, their region, which again is still the same area as Babylon. Like we're talking Iraq and Iran, that whole region. So that was the Assyrians, very ruthless, very brutal. The Babylonians, not the same. When they would attack a country, a city, a nation, they would employ seductive tactics. Here's what they would do. They would take you captive, and then they wouldn't put hooks through your nose. They would just lead you the 900 miles, in the case of Jerusalem, the 900 miles to the ancient city of Babylon, where you would be enamored with the opulence and the splendor and the beauty of Babylon. And once they got you there, you see, you wouldn't want to go anywhere else. You would look around and you would be wide-eyed. You'd be like, wow, this place is beautiful. And the Babylonians would be like, yeah, and you get to live here. Just come on in, eat our food, enjoy our homes, Start, you know, having families, settle down. Isn't this place beautiful? And all the captives would be like, yeah, this is beautiful. Now, Herodotus describes the splendor of Babylon in its waning days. Herodotus would describe it. He's an ancient historian. He would talk about how Babylon as a city was roughly 200 square miles along the Euphrates River. That's about three times the size of Washington, D.C. Nearly 60 miles of walls around the city. 300 feet high, these walls, and 80 feet thick, 100 brass gates, 220 high towers. The Euphrates River was diverted around the city of Babylon as a defensive moat and diverted under the wall of Babylon in through the city. So it'd be like this beautiful meandering river through the city of Babylon. Rising from the center of the city of Babylon was this pyramid-like structure called a ziggurat. And it was a terraced structure, and on each terraced level were planted beautiful gardens. So that you would look at this beautiful flowered pyramid rising up 400 feet. And it was the reason why, in ancient history, the hanging gardens of Babylon were considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so you have to imagine now, as a Jew, you've just been transported 900 miles, a lot of it desert, you're tired, you're hot, and you walk in through the gate and you're seeing the hanging gardens of Babylon and the Euphrates River and palm trees. I mean, it's like you're stepping into the magic kingdom at Disney World. And you're hearing the music, it's a small, small Babylonian world after all. There's cotton candy in the air and popcorn, and you're like, this isn't so bad. This is wonderful. This is how the Babylonians would do it, you see. They would seduce you by the beauty and the splendor and all of this, and then they would just kind of absorb you into the culture, and before you knew it, you were just like they, and that's how they did it. And despite all that, Daniel resisted such a thing. Daniel refused to be molded and shaped by his new environment. He would stay in Babylon for the rest of his life, but he would never bend 
He would never conform. You know, he would be, it could be said of him, living in Babylon, of course, but he would never allow Babylon to live in him. That's the big difference. And boy, if that doesn't speak to you, then I'll say it again, (laughs) because we need to recognize the same thing today. He was living in Babylon, but he never let Babylon live in him. He would be true to the Lord in an uncompromising way. And what is so amazing to me is that when this book starts, listen to me if you're a teenager in this room, when this book starts, he's about 15 years of age. When this book ends, he's about 85 to 90. And not once, it's not recorded at least. I'm sure he's not a perfect man, like none of us is is perfect, right? But not once does it expose any compromise. He was true to the Lord, whether as a teenager or a senior adult drawing Social Security in Babylon. He was just faithful to God in every season of his life. So whether you're here kind of on the young end of the spectrum or the more mature end of the spectrum, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. And it's possible to live in Babylon without Babylon living in you. So we need to be aware of some of the tactics of seduction that Babylon employed to try to get people to conform and to be molded and to be shaped into the image of their new environment. And here are these three things I'll share with you. First was physical isolation. They would take you away from your country, your family, your language, your culture, even the worship of your God, everything familiar to you. And they would isolate you. They would take you off to Babylon. They would get you away. They would put separation between you and everything that was your support structure, everything that was familiar. The worship of your God, especially. If we, they figured if we can just separate you from some of that, then eventually you'll be more likely to abandon the, the way that you used to live and, and become more like us and take on our values and take on our gods and take on our language. And, but, but they had to isolate you to, to weaken you, to separate you from all the things that were basically your support structure so that they could get you to a place where now you were more malleable. You could be shaped into the image of their values and their cultures. Let me tell you, one of the first times that this is tested in, in, in modern terms, and that's when kids go off to college. Because all of a sudden, you're, you're isolated for the first time. You, you might go to the same school as a friend or two of yours. Okay, you might have, you know, some kind of familiarity. But by and large, the first time kids go off to college, they're kind of isolated. They're separated from everything that was so familiar up to that point in their lives. They're separated from their family, the support structure, you know, all the things that were, you know, most comfortable and and supportive. And now they're thrust into an environment that you better believe is going to try to shape them into its environment. And as, as a Christian, here's what, here's what happens when a kid goes off to college for the first time, sometimes for the first time, their faith and their values and their principles are going to be really be tested like never before. And it'll be in those moments that they will begin to realize who they really are or aren't. And it'll be an opportunity for them to become stronger in their faith values and principles, like Daniel, or to become more absorbed by the environment into which they are now moving. And, and, And so that's why parents, listen, lay that foundation early and repeat it often because at some point, every single one of us has to grow up and own our faith. And if that foundation is not... Let, listen, somebody laid a foundation in Daniel's life. 
because he's 15 and he goes off to a foreign country for the first time, completely separated from everything that was familiar to him. And yet he remains so strong to the Lord. Somebody, mom or dad, somebody's pouring into him. Thanks for joining us today on Cornerstone Connection to study the book of Daniel. This man of faith lived in a time where Israel wasn't a nation. They didn't even live in their own homeland. Yet people like Daniel and his friends continued to serve the Lord, even when it wasn't widely accepted. They faced persecution, even to the point of death, yet they remained firmly planted in the truth of God's Word. While today you may not be facing a lion's den or a furnace if you profess your trust in Christ, you may indeed face opposition. God is still calling you to stand strong and to tell the truth, helping others to see the light. Your Creator is with you and will be your strength through whatever comes your way. Please know that we're praying for you here at Cornerstone Connection. If there's something specific we could be lifting up to the Lord, please get in touch with us. Our number is 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Do you have a church family? If not, we'd love to step into that role for you. You're invited to be part of our weekly services here at Cornerstone Chapel. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get the latest information on service times, and regulations so that you can join us safely, either in person or online. You can also visit our Facebook page for information. You'll find a link at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. You know